Okay, welcome everyone. The latest session of Randos Read. Tonight we have four Randos reading Atlas Shrugged, part one, chapter five, the climax of the Danconias. And as usual, it'll just be us uh, looking at that chapter where uh, in this one, Eddie Willers tells Dagny that the recently nationalized San Sebastian mines are worthless. And she uh, recollects her remarkable childhood with Francisco as she walks the hotel to meet that bastard. And then she speaks with him about his San Sebastian mines. So uh, any opening comments? You know, I was just thinking, you know, speaking of bad planning, how about those San Sebastian mines? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, except it almost, uh, it's like, uh, I guess it wasn't actually planned because he, he did. Yeah, he, he knew the consequence of just not focusing. It seems. Well, there's some ambiguity there, actually. Like, did he arrange for well, some of the skipping, most heinous stuff? Well, skipping forward, you know, to his conversation with Dagny, Francisco is very carefully ambiguous about, you know, basically, you know, did I screw up? You know, did I make an oversight, or did I do this deliberately? Yeah, it's uh, that to me was just echoing the non-contradiction part of the book where it's like, oh, you have to check your premises here. If I'm so amazing at everything and you see this happen, uh, did how can you see that as a screw up? Something else is going on, right? Well, but he, he does make the very interesting point that, in effect, it doesn't matter because it's the same underlying problem in any of those cases. Um, which I thought was interesting and is something we probably plan on talking about, you know, when mm -hmm. we get there. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, <clears throat> to me, it feels <laughs> deliberate because they're completely worthless. It wasn't like he would just leave that to chance. He had to have known the fact like he purposely supplied from the the creeps who would be the kind who would uh, not yeah. deliver, I mean, not stare out hard. Yeah, I mean, it seems like everything that he's getting out of this um, is predicated on the mines not having any copper. And, you know, if, you know, he had just picked a mediocre site... You know, where there's like some copper, but not incredibly rich, you know, then, you know, he might still have caused a lot of economic damage to Taggart Transcontinental to his American investors and so on. But it wouldn't have been the same magnitude of catastrophe. And it seems like the catastrophe is what he wants. Yeah, he might have. Um, yeah, it seemed like a very, a very complete loss. Yeah, Thorough. you know, because it's like, even at the beginning you know, of the chapter, you know, you kind of get this thing where it's like, oh, you know, he screwed the people's state of Mexico. Yeah, he defrauded them. They're, they're all, you know, out there holding emergency sessions, you know, being all indignant about, you know, how, you know, the, the thing that they stole, you know, wasn't worth what they thought it would be worth. And, um, <laughs> you know, the... <laughs> the bigger the gap between expectation and reality, the more effective that thumb in the eye becomes, which, you know, again, kind of suggests that Francisco wouldn't have left the, you know, the poor quality uh, to chance. Yeah. 
but again, that pushes us, you know, in the direction of, okay, so what's he up to? You know, he, he's being very carefully ambiguous in his public statements about, um, you know, maybe I just made a mistake. Isn't everybody allowed to do that now and then? Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just a playboy. But at the same time, um, everything else he does paints the image of somebody who is very purposeful, very intelligent, very goal-directed, you know, somebody who, who never engages in pointless or purposeless activity. And, you know, Rand stresses that, you know, Dagny still sees him that way. She still sees that in him. Um, you know, the, the way that he, he plays with the marbles when she meets with him, you know, his, his incapacity, even on the micro scale of not doing something with a purpose to it. Yeah. And, um, still the way he talks, uh, his general manner, it, it, mm -hmm. it's, it's what like she remembers. Yeah, everything about the way the character is presented says he's purposeful and goal-directed, and that means that what he did here had to be purposeful and goal-directed. And I, I think, again, it just leaves her with contradictions. Well, it's interesting because I, I feel like the, the sort of the default interpretation of this at this point in the book is fundamentally political in character, right? The, the kind of conclusion you draw is that he's perhaps, you know, trying to fight the looters by tricking them, you know, manipulating mm -hmm. them into, you know, building a bunch of plans on, you know, the assumption that, you know, he was creating this wealth for them that they could, you know, loot from him and then leaving them holding the bag. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I hear uh, Carl cackling back there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just think, I mean, as poetic, as poetic justice goes, this is quite masterful. Sure. Um, and I mean, it, it's, you know, hilarious to, to contemplate and, you know, to, to observe, you know, in the book, you know, it's, you know, love the the bureaucrat who wants to sue him. Yeah, it's like how you know how dare you you know not create a valuable industrial enterprise for us to take from to you take from course. you, yeah, for <laughs> us to steal from you. Yes, um, you know, but that purely political interpretation of Francisco's goal is you know that's like a conservative interpretation of the novel. It's it's very superficial and very political. Um, yeah. And it seems apparent there's something deeper going on there. Um, there's that kind of, that moral contradiction, um, you know, where, you know, the government of the people's state, you know, and, you know, sort of the looters in general, you know, we see this with, um, you know, Jim's attitude towards Francisco in the flashbacks, you know, they hate him. You know, they think he's, you know, he's a bad, worthless person. You know, they call him that to his face. Mm. And yet they count on his ability to be productive. And they're really put out when that ability doesn't pay off for them. So, 
it, there's some of that attitude also against Hank with his family. Mm. They they do not like him, but they depend on him being productive. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's like they're very put out when they. How should I put this? Um, different point. It's interesting then that the looter attitude implies that productivity has nothing to do with morality. And yet, at the same time, they seem to want it, or at least they want the results of it. Yeah, they they value it, but they don't count it as being in the realm of values. Yeah, it's it's like they they want it, they pursue it, which implies that in some sense they think it's good, yet they vociferously condemn it at every opportunity. It's kind of fucked up, yeah. Well, more contradictions, right? What do they want? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you know, cause like, in, let's in, pick a lane, guys. Yeah, yeah. Because in in general, it seems like you know, if they, if you value an effect, you value the causes that are necessary to bring that effect into existence. So, it seems kind of weird that they would value you know the wealth that they expect to get from Francisco you know, and his, you know, his judgment and his talent. But they don't actually value Francisco or his judgment or his talent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very irrational there. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's see. Uh, backing up a little ways. Uh, do you guys remember how Eddie responded to the discovery that the, the mines were worthless? Very straightforwardly, um, he basically, you know, he immediately stakes out the position: this is not a mistake. You know, Francisco's not a fool. You know, mm-hmm. you know, he could not have made a mistake like it's this. Like, it's I don't get possible. it, but it's not a mistake. Okay, yeah, it's like this is not, you know, this is not a mistake. I don't understand it. I can't integrate it with everything else I know about him, but. This is not a mistake. Dagny was slightly different. <laughs> she, she was a little angry. Well, um, it's interesting because Dagny says, I'm beginning to. Um, so, you know, mm-hmm. question, you know, for the panel, you know, what do you think it is that she's beginning to understand? You know, what, what uh, it, it, it's like she's figured something out or she thinks she has. Um, when, uh, when are you thinking of, uh, when, when did she say that? Um, it's right after Eddie's statement. It's, it's, oh, uh, you know, right, right near the beginning of the chapter. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I'm not sure given her later statements. Um, I'm looking for it now. A cert, there's a, yeah, there's a certain point here where yeah, it's like you know she she's definitely figured out that he came to New York to witness you know mm-hmm. this farce this part, and not not the other one not the other one yeah <laughs> um. And, you know, she's definitely, uh, 
you know, thinks that, you know, he did it deliberately. Yeah, let's see. She doesn't know his motive. But she, uh, you know, she does think that he was, uh, he was after the American stockholders. Okay. Yeah, maybe it was um, just him attacking NC. Right. Okay. Francis Here she fool. says, right. Yeah, um, uh, I don't understand. You know, she says, I came here because I wanted you to know that I am beginning to understand your purpose. He smiled. If you did, you wouldn't have come here. She says, that's true. I don't understand and probably never shall. I'm merely beginning to see part of it. Which part? And she says, you had exhausted every other form of depravity and sought a new thrill by swindling people like Jim and his friends in order to watch them squirm. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. She, so... She was thinking that was his purpose. All right, yeah, that, and she's been seeing the descent into Playboy. Worthless yeah, that, that he had. Yeah, he had done this deliberately, and that you know his kind of goal nihilistic. was. Yeah, his goal was to basically screw with the looters. Yeah, um, which is you know kind of like the the point That's I was fun, making. Trolling. Yeah, kind of like the point I was making earlier about the uh, people state of Mexico. You know, does the whole project in order to screw with them. And also to screw with you know his American yeah. investors, and but it, in a sense he is, but it's that's not his end. Uh, that yeah, yeah. He, he has another mission. Yeah, well, and in particular, um, you know, she says, uh, you know, or seems to think that he's screwing with them economically. And it's I mean, interesting. He, he he is. He's jamming them up. But sure, but that that's really just the most superficial layer, yeah. I think. Here, um, yeah, he he. That is uh, not his real aim. Uh, it's and it's, just it's, it's it's interesting that she she sort of defends them or attacks Francisco by saying, you know, in this case, their only crime was that they trusted you. They trusted your name and your honor. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's uh, so. It's uh, she probably doesn't care much if they lose money, but maybe she's more uh, unhappy at his apparent lack of honor now. Yeah, Playboy that, thing, everything at, at his his dishonesty that, that yeah. he cannot uh, he cannot be trusted. Yeah. Yeah. Although that raises an interesting question because, you know, about the nature of trust, you know, trusted, you know, for what, right? It's not like Francisco went out and, you know, told people falsehoods about the San Sebastian mines. It was pretty clear in the earlier chapters you know, that, uh, that he didn't, um, you know, the investors didn't ask to see, you know, 
assays or you know factual information they didn't ask him about his goals or purposes um you know they assumed that his goal was to make money yes yeah. and uh he he knew that would be their assumption so yeah uh, and and what you know yeah but what she's um yeah and francisco says that you know all their calculations rested on the premise i wanted to make money what if i didn't Mm -hmm. um, you know, because it's not, you know, they're not trusting his honor or rather he, he didn't violate a, a trust, you know, or his honor because he didn't make any promises or representations. He simply allowed them to make assumptions, you know, and went along with them. Yeah. So I, I think um, if you were in business with somebody or uh, like if you're engaging, if you're in a, say, a court of law and you engage in a lie of omission, I think you would get spanked by the judge. Mm, depends. Yeah, I'm I'm actually it, not certain about that. Well, um, if you well, like like Jim Clapper, that asshole, he goes before Congress, he uses um, certain words in specialized ways that he knows will not be understood the way he means them, the way he's, uh, he's intending to use them. And he, he knows that's the effect that will have, and he's doing it to be misleading. Yeah, but Francisco's not doing that. He's simply not mentioning certain topics. And in a court, I think in a court of law, that is perfectly fine. Oh, yeah. It's the, he, it's he the job of the examining attorney, yeah. you know, to dig with, you know, no, dig no, through no, that I'm, sort I'm of thing. I'm just thinking morally, uh, Dagny can look at him and go, you know that they would take your actions as indicating that you had done your homework, you knew the deal, and you know they're relying on that, and yet you're choosing not to say that. You're not informing them. Yeah, but the question is... You know, He's not I mean, obligated to. Right. We're wearing my Francisco hat for a moment. My you know, response would be, you know, that the facts were so straightforward and so obvious. You know, these people, you know, invested tens of millions of dollars, you know, in this venture without doing, you know, a scintilla yeah. of no due, due diligence. diligence. Yeah. <laughs> they sort of I uh Again, uh, reading it, it's very satisfying because I, I see them getting what they richly deserve. Yeah, it's it's. But Francisco may have an obligation, go, you know, to not but, you know to tell the truth, to not fake reality. He does not have an obligation to do anyone else's thinking for them. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm trying to think of uh, how Dagny. Well, can see this while he's explaining it. Yeah. Well. I would also think that at this point in, in the arc of the novel, Dagny views productivity as intrinsically tied up with honor. When she's talking about honor, she's talking about Francisco's moral character. And she doesn't see how a person like Francisco could have a moral character while rejecting the value of productivity, which is what he appears to be doing here. 
right? He says, you know, what if I didn't want to make money? You know, what if I didn't want to produce wealth? You know, what if I, what if my goal was and, the destruction and she's of like, wealth? Sacrilege. Yeah. And, yeah. and to Dagny, this is blasphemy. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think that word gets used uh, in a related context. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, when she talks about, you know, their trust in his honor, she's thinking, you know, their trust in his moral character, their trust in his virtue. And to her, being virtuous necessarily means being productive and seeking to create wealth. I mean, is this... Go ahead. This, this is Chris. Is this the Wayne Falkland the meeting yeah. in the hotel room? Yeah. Yes. 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 So when she says, you know, you are not the man who gets destroyed by any kind of world, and he says, true, and she says, then why? And he says... Who is John, John Galt. Galt? Yes. Yeah. Which we understand having read the book before, but yeah, it's a through the first reading is through sure. the first yeah. time. It seems to be almost an arb- It seems to be as arbitrary as every other time that phrase has been used heretofore. Right. Well, it has a dual meaning, and that's that's she's constructed that, and that's part of the mystery, because you don't really at this point stage in the novel understand the multiple meanings of that. Yeah. Because actually, there's plenty of meanings. It's not just, not just. Yeah. Well, and I think that um, question of exactly what virtue consists of, and um, how a virtuous person should deal with other people who deny, um, you know his virtue while attempting to benefit from it at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's a more general theme, right? I mean, Francisco is playing this one way, Reardon is playing it another way. And I think we'll be seeing that very clearly in the next chapter. Yeah. And there's another double meaning right at the end, you know, when he says you have a great deal of courage, someday you'll have enough of it. Which, the double meaning, actually, she calls him outright on that. But uh, she doesn't get the other meaning of it until much later. Well, and that goes back to his uh, last meeting with her before he quits. Where he's basically showing just how much courage it takes, especially when you can't explain yourself. Yeah. Well, I think the, the double meaning that I see in that is the, uh, the phrase about, you know, you'll have enough of it. Yes. Right. Because mm-hmm. one interpretation of that is she won't have enough courage to do what needs to be done. But another interpretation of it is not connected to courage at all. It's just someday you know, you'll have, you'll enough have had enough of this crap. You will have had enough of this. Yeah. <laughs> right. The destroyer will come and get you. <laughs> yes. Well, I don't think they've gotten to the point of believing that there's a destroyer quite yet. Right. It's a mythical being. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. I can never hear that kind of phrase without thinking of Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> choose, choose the name of the destructor. 
one of the, the <laughs> form of the destructor, I should say. <laughs> now I have this urge to um, ask ChatGPT to write a uh, a scene in which the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man destroys Reardon Steel. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, okay. that's that's probably not in the corpus. <laughs> I have to do it. Hold on. Please write a scene in which the stay stay puffed uh, marshmallow man. It is remarkable to me how much these LLMs recognize. Like they know all kinds of everything. You know, pop culture for forever. They know. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. Root and steel. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Chris. <laughs> I mean, clearly, you 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 need to take this scene and incorporate it into your screenplay. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, sure I, you just, you, you just get a little bit more action in there, and you'll you'll find a producer. Well. I, the, it's actually well past the point where what I have is useful because what I have was only a two and a half hour movie and or two hour movie, I should say. And any more, you do it as a mini series and you expand it out. There's no reason to go short. Mm -hmm. So it was a great exercise. I, 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 now I know the novel backwards and forwards. Um, and I proved that you can do it. You can get the whole story in two hours, but wow. it's not—it's not going to be something that's use, useful. Yeah, I mean, my recollection of the the version of the screenplay, at least that I um, uh, heard, uh, had a pretty gaping plot hole in it. But oh, really? What was that? Um, I remember I, I talked to you about that. Um, it was yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. I'm remembering now. Yeah, it was. I think it, at the end. Um, there were basically no events between Dagny coming back from the valley and uh, hearing Galt's speech um, on the radio. Um, and she went on strike after hearing the speech, which doesn't make any sense because anything Galt would have said in the speech, he could have told her in you know the month that she lived with him in the valley. Uh -huh. Okay, okay. All right. Hmm. Well, in... I guess we're we're spoiler we're allowing spoilers here. <laughs> I guess that is a little uh, bit of a, a spoiler. Little, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So well, cats out of bag. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I really want. I you know I try to avoid spoilers in general. Uh, but uh, okay, I, I'll take a look at that and see. I mean, it's it's a moot point yeah. now, but yeah, you because you do want things to be anchored in action. Yeah, I mean, she had a certain premise that she needed still to check and correct, which is why she, she didn't stay, uh, you know, in the Valley. She still thought she could win. And, yeah. Hmm. You know, yeah. Okay. And, okay. Right. And, and, and being disabused from that was, you know, the final lesson she had to learn from an interaction with, you know, the looters. Yes. Yes. Okay, I understand exactly what you're saying. That's really perceptive. So, yeah, in fact, you were you were probably the one that was way more perceptive than just about anybody in terms of, you know, understanding the what has to happen to get it lower, to get it to a shorter number of hours and all that. So I appreciated your yeah. comments a great deal. 
you know, what you, what has to be there and what absolutely can't. Yeah. Yeah. Cause boy, and I'll tell you one, the other thing, when you condense it down that much, it means that everything that you keep increases in importance. And some of the stuff actually got out of scale to where, okay, this is actually exactly the way it was in the novel, but because everything's so condensed, it becomes a lot more prominent, more important and not good because of that. It's imbalanced. Yeah. Because there was a one about like reared and threatening to kill. Right. Hmm. Uh, If I, if I believed you meant that I'd have to kill you. Okay. But in the novel, that's a, that's in context of a lot of other things that are going on. And so it doesn't really come across as the dominant thing in his character. And of course, when he says it, he actually believes that it's not true. Like he, that he wouldn't ever do that. That of, that of course he doesn't mean that. But of course, when you condense everything down, now this threat of violence becomes a lot more prominent and, and out of whack, actually. So hey, I had a reviewer who said, yeah, this doesn't seem like Reardon at all. And I'm like, well, it's directly from the novel. On the other hand, you are correct. <laughs> that changes yeah. his character too much. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's a problem called, uh, I think, the law of conservation of detail. Okay. I hadn't heard that before. Um, <laughs> that, you know, in a fictional world, um, you know, everything that's there is put in there deliberately by the creator. Right. And therefore, everything that is put in should be considered to be important. Okay. Check out that. Right. And, and things, that gone, are, yeah. you know, things that are more important get more detail. Things that are less important get less detail. Yeah. Um, okay. And what you're talking about is, you know, in effect, when you drop out a bunch of stuff entirely because you're condensing you're changing the context of relative detail of what's left in. Yes. And, you know, as a result of that, say this line of Reardon's becomes a much more prominent part of his characterization. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, it was a good comment, you know, and it's like, oh, huh, I never really thought about that. (laughs) That was good. Have you guys heard the word paracosm? I have now. It's a, a word I heard recently, and it describes like an imaginary world constructed by people. Ah, okay. And of course, you could think of like Middle Earth as being an example of this. But it goes back quite even uh, earlier than that. Like the Bronte sisters, they had had an entire world that they had created. And then the stories that they wrote were set in that world. And so they already that. had a backstory that was written out about everything. So this is broader than just a fictional world as presented in a particular, you know, story or work. Uh-huh. It's, it's, you know, it, it's like that, what, what sometimes gets called lore. Lore? Okay. Yeah, lore, L-O-R-E, you know, the... Oh, the, yes, oh, yes. Oh, 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 gotcha, lore, okay. Lore, yeah. Yeah, the the sort of the the deeper history, context, and background of which the particular bit of fiction you're reading is just the tip of the iceberg. Right. There's a my daughter has used that phrase in a really funny way. Because um, like, there's a friend of hers, and her friend works at this fast food place, and then she was going to go to. A- oh, oh, I think we just lost him. 
Yep. Oh, oh there you're back. Please try again. We lost you briefly. All right, back. So she said, yes, yeah, so I'm going to this party, and I've never met these people before, but I know the lore. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, okay, the backstory and, you know, who relates Ooh, to who, how, yeah, and all that. I thought that was a great I'm term. up to date on the gossip. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I loved it. So I don't get a chance to use it myself, but it's it's a wor worthy of use that way. Yeah. So maybe we should go back to earlier in the chapter because um, we've been kind of jumping around a lot. Yeah, we um, actually uh, an area neglected would be their childhood together. Their lower. <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, let's see. What was uh, what really stood out about uh, their childhood childhood together? Well, I particularly liked the way she segued into the uh, flashback. <laughs> mm -hmm. You mean just on, on like the micro level? Yes. Just like the stylistically? Yes. Oh. She felt like she should be running, and then the next thing you know, she is running, but it's in the past. Ah. Just a stylistic point, not, 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 yeah. not specifically yeah, related to the that. narrative, but anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, was kind of amused by, you know, the um, sort of the moral alignments, you know, Francisco, you know, comes to visit the Taggart children, but it's, you know, he spends all his time with Dagny and Eddie with Jim on the outside. Yeah. So apparently Jim was problematically, apparently. even when he was young. Yeah, yeah, Jim. Jim's been a toxic <laughs> little shit for pretty much his entire life. It seems yeah. like. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure Rand uses that phrase somewhere, maybe in the journals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <clears throat> all right. So. Um, yeah, the yeah. general alignment, having them grow up together, they, uh, I, I really enjoyed the, um, the growing attitude of like, yeah, we're going to run these businesses and how they, uh, they felt the need to uh, work their way up through it, especially Francisco, uh, learning all businesses. He, he would uh, very carefully vanish, make it hard to follow him. And I think that, uh, uh, I'm not sure if it was true or if he was just having fun with her, but he was like, oh yeah, I just, I did that uh, so that I could, I, I could say I, I worked for uh, Tiger Transcontinental first. Oh, I, I think he did it on purpose. It was, and, and it was <laughs> to tweak her in, in a certain way, um, yeah, but, yeah. but also a genuine motivation as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the Dagny Francisco sort of relationship and, you know, budding romance dynamic is interesting. Yeah. Um, I actually paid more attention this time because read it before long ago. Um, it, it was more drawn out than I remembered and happened a little later in their lives than I remembered. I thought they were closer to mid teens instead of late teens. Well, he'd been in college, and she had just started, if I remember correctly. Or, yeah. But yeah, they started early. Was, yeah, I think she was like 17, maybe, 17, 16. Because she had had a, her mother had thrown a big coming out party uh, 
usually sort of marking um, young womanhood. Yeah, and, the debutante and, and, ball. Yeah, and this was like a year later plus. Yeah, generally speaking, the debutantes, and I'm, I'm going off of, off of English convention here, I'm assuming that the upper crust on the East Coast would probably do much the same thing, but 16 years old generally was when uh, when they would make their debuts. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah. I mean the the overall thrust of that uh, you know section was just the you know, laying down, you know, the presentation of an incredibly intelligent and talented young man coming oh, of yeah. age. <laughs> yes. Um, he's, uh, yeah, he, he's kind of a joy just to, to watch in, in action. I, I know he was written to be that way, so it makes sense. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the whole concept of, you know, aristocracy and the, the variance they have of that, because he's someone who is an aristocrat in both the old and new world senses and is very self-conscious of that. Yes, and his heritage is also of the old and new world in both senses. Yeah, again, fun attitude. It's like, I, yeah. uh, I can't just assume this is mine. I have to earn it. Yeah. But I mean, it, it's interesting, you know, you contrast him with, you know, someone like Reardon who basically came up out of nowhere. Yes. Um, well, and in a sense, well, that, 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 that would be giving things away. So I won't, so I won't pursue what I just was thinking. <laughs> yeah. Not, not too hard of spoilers. Uh, all right. Um... And there's something else that is going on here as well. You're also seeing the value and reciprocating value equivalencies between Francisco and Dagny. So that you have a really good idea of just how distressed he has to be in their final meeting uh, before right. he starts acting yeah. crazy. That is, uh, uh, yeah. You point. you need a you need Making to establish a a really long and really intimate um, baseline. Yeah, you know, for for these two characters, they they've been, uh, you know. <sighs> Do I really want to use the phrase up inside each other? Uh, <laughs> uh, seriously. Um, you know, but you know, psychologically and, and morally, right? There there's you know, each of them really does seem to view the other one as an exemplar of the kind of world that they want to move into as adults. Yes. And, and and one of the other things is is that uh, they don't have to be in each other's ambit all the time for the relationship to 
be assumed to exist. Yeah, right. as, uh, as children even, it was like one month a year, joyous and wonderful, didn't sweat it the rest of the time. And mm-hmm. then he could be missing for years on end. They're, 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 both, they're both low maintenance, um, yes. certainly. Um, <laughs> they greet each other like, oh, it was just yesterday we were together. It's been three yeah, years, but, but we should And I, I think there's, there's two elements involved in that. You know, one of them is that while they profoundly value each other, neither one of them is trying to live through the other one. Yeah, there's no, there's, yes. there, there's no surrendering of self-sufficiency. Yes, and the other is that each of them has a belief in sort of the rock-solid character and nature of the other. So there's no concern that they're going to change in time spent apart. Which, of course, makes the change that much more interesting. change that much, yeah, that much more painful and unexpected when it suddenly appears that Francisco has done exactly that thing I just said. Yeah, and, and unexplainable. Because where did this come from? Yeah, not not merely drifting into being different in little ways, which she saw some signs of uh, as well, but seeming to suddenly undergo a, a total inversion. Yeah, it and, would be and, like uh, someone suddenly joining a cult. It's like, ah, yeah, where'd in, my friend a, go? Right, but in a in an interesting again sort of doesn't doesn't because he seems to be completely different and yet at the same time still unchanged and that's one of the things that dagny can't wrap her head around yeah his unconscious behavior is speaking directly to her and that's the francisco she knows but what he's doing consciously is and completely at odds with the francisco she knows so i don't even know if she's she I don't know if she, she recognizes the subconscious behavior, the the accuracy with the marbles and so forth and so on. She recognizes it, but I don't know that she grasps the import in regard to his more overt behavior. Yeah, well, I think she gets the, the sense of contradiction because, you know, the way he talks, you know, still, you know, very direct, very open, you know, very, very sincere, he's observant, he's perceptive, you know, he's precise, and yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> but hey, um, don't don't forget that these are cardboard cutouts and one-dimensional characters, okay? Don't forget yeah. that. <laughs> and... <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll get to the cardboard cutout characters later on. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm just... Still... Uh, loving how uh, every page she's just busy whapping you in the face with you know just hiding everything in plain sight and uh, the second reading is so much different than the first yeah i mean i got that uh, that same sense um uh from the fountainhead actually mm. um you know there's a lot of things that ellsworth tui says that pick up additional layers of meaning on a subsequent reading. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Until you I'm particularly really fond of, yeah. Yeah, of, of the time that he says, um, you know, I, I love the banner. You know, I do anything for the New York banner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's good. Okay. So, um, <laughs> 
What's the significance of Dagny's tennis game with Francisco? Why was she so determined to win? And why did he seem to win regardless of the score? Interesting. And how did she win? (laughs) Well, she won because he... Maybe he just let her. No. Well, no, he didn't really let her. I think what it came down to was he recognized the effort that was involved and and, 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 and at a certain level realized that he could have crushed her had he wanted to. Uh, and it wasn't that he let her win. It's just that his level of appreciation, I don't say degenerated, but r- was reduced to humor to the point where he couldn't continue operating at the level he needed to beat her. Mm-hmm. I mean, I absolutely saw that as, um, you know, in effect, a, a form of uh, romantic test. Huh. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, or the, it, it would have been, it would have ruined it had he just let her win. Mm-hmm. She had, she won. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah, but it, it's like she, she wanted to, you know, challenge him you know she, she wanted to put everything that she had on the line in order to to challenge him yeah i think and, this goes back to rand's point about uh looking up mm-hmm. which arguably is, uh, is as much as uh, as much as the uh popular culture wants to uh, denounce her for that seems to play itself out that way regardless of how a lot how, of how many protestations you hear from the distaff sex because well it, <laughs> at almost every level it occurs but boy she was a she was a nasty person for pointing it out and enshrining it in a literary document uh, intolerable. <laughs> how, how, how dare you say this true thing? Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, that, that, is, that is so not true for reasons that I'm sure will come to me any moment now. <laughs> now. Any moment now. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Um... But yeah, it's like she she wants to drive him to the very extremity of his skill, and and yet he doesn't he doesn't go there. In, in other words, she's she wants to she wants to basically have that level of victory over him, and and the only reason she wins is because he's kind of laughing at at, at the exertion. Um, I mean, but I, I kind of see a parallel to like a parent, you know, and their kid is getting better and then they're challenging you. And it's not like you want to lay down and not, not fight them, but it's like, you want to see them succeed at that. Now that's not the relationship they have here, but I can kind of see that, you know, it's, it's like, he's going to try, but he's not going to give a hundred percent because he's just yeah. enjoying watching what she's doing so much. Yeah. Well, I won't give it to him, but, um, definitely have to earn it. But uh, but you can earn it. Yeah, yeah. But you know when he's you know looking at her, you know it's like she won the tennis game, 
but she also demonstrated that he'd won her. Yes. Yes. Um, why did they keep their sexual relationship secret? Oh. From, from everybody. Especially from everybody. Well, because it was them. It was, it was, I mean, and they didn't really look at it this way, but, but it wasn't that it wasn't, it wasn't just it was that it was nobody else's business. Else's business. It was something yeah. above and beyond that. Yeah, it was nobody else's business, but that's not how they looked at it. They looked at it as, well, it was uniquely their business, and other people just really didn't, mm -hmm. really didn't even enter into it. Yeah, I agree. Like, why, why is it any of their business? Yeah. So in this meeting, what was she actually trying to learn from him? And how much did he actually give her on that front? Are you skipping back forward to the Wayne Falkland? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, Sorry, the final Wayne Falkland the, meeting, the not the... Uh, the... Uh, yeah, uh, I kind of feel like we're bastard. skipping over some fairly significant events there. <laughs> oh, all right. Uh, um, yeah, a little bit scattered. <laughs> sorry. Um, so, okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's during and after college. Yeah, I mean it, it's kind of interesting that you know Francisco is, you know, the world's taking some bits out of him, clearly. You know, once his, his father dies and he's taken over the the family business. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it in some ways it seems the same as, you know, Dagny has the expectation that, you know, when she, you know, is grown and, you know, working and running Taggart Transcontinental, she will have entered, you know, the, the world that she wants and expects. Um, you know, and, you know, discovers that in fact, you know, for reasons she can't understand, she hasn't. And it seems like Francisco is having a similar experience. Um, in some ways, it seems like he's starting to head down the path that leads to Ellis Wyatt. Hmm. You mean as far as the bitterness? Yeah, the, the bitterness and the anger. You know, he doesn't get very far down that path, but I, I kind of have the sense that he could have wound up that way. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I agree. That three years that they kind of spent apart before the final uh, uh, positive meeting at the Wayne uh, Wayne Falkland. Mm -hmm. Um. The interactions that you did see during that time period uh, did tend to indicate that's where he was going. That uh, he was finding out the world really wasn't what he had anticipated it would be. Yeah. 
And then, of course, there's mm-hmm. the uh, uh, the linkage that uh, Rand makes here between aesthetic pleasure and sexual pleasure. She loves doing that sort of thing. Yes. So what about, you know, the the first meeting at the Wayne Falkland? Because, uh, I mean, this oh, is one of those those yeah. things that, you know, makes a lot more sense on a second reading. Okay, so this is when the first meeting is basically when he's getting ready to leave uh, her. Right before he starts acting weird. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. It, he, he started acting weird you know, at the meeting. Um, you're going to condemn me. You're going to hate me. Yeah. You'll be totally like justified. He- he he gives her a Don't warning. It, it's <laughs> like he, he's taking the last thing that he values, you know, in the world before turning away. Yeah. Um, there was something there. Let's see. No, I can't find it right offhand. Never mind. Is this the meeting where he says he uh, he uh, that Dagny doesn't yet have enough courage? No, that's later. Okay, that's at the end. Yeah. Hmm. This is the one where he. Um, asks her uh, what she would say if he asked her to um, to leave oh. Taggart Transcontinental. <laughs> Reaction is like, are you insane? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah. Never mind. Yeah. Um, very hard. Yeah. Test- testing her to see if she has, if, if she's ready to do what he's about to do. Yeah, whether, yeah. He, whether she has whether Why she would that be the test though, because he, he, she needs a much bigger context of knowledge before she could see that as a correct move. Well, that's why he is probing this. He's not he's not basically coming out and laying it out for her because it's not enough. They they've never okay. So even when they were she, young, if they. It, you could say argue that she was false. She and Eddie were following him, but it was a mutual. It was not following in the sense of taking his judgment for their own. 
And so what he's doing here is he's seeing if her level of judgment at this point can stand up to what he already knows. And he probes and realizes, no, it can't. So he's not asking her to come along with him based on his say-so. He wants her to come along, but she has to be ready. He makes the probe, realizes she is not ready. And that's why the rest of it follows. Um, recall a chapter or two ago, she briefly flirted with the thought, I could quit. Yes. When the San Sebastian mine, get, I mean, they, excuse me, the uh, railroad, the, um, I forget the name of the railroad. Is it the San Sebastian line? Uh, it's when it gets authorized by the board that she walks out and says, quit, you need to quit. You need to leave. Because she realizes it's just going to be a, a resource sink. And it is. The, dang, what is the line that's headed down towards the Phoenix Durango? Um, it, it isn't the San Sebastian, is it? Well, no, you it's have the Del Norte line, or the Rio Norte. One. But Rio the Rio Norte did not go all the way into the mines. I think it was the San Sebastian line that was a continuation of the Rio Norte. But it was not the Rio Norte line itself. Mm. If I remember correctly, that's how it breaks out. Mm -hmm. I think it's the San Sebastian line. Even after her, uh, yeah, her heroic effort to save it, to make it happen, actually. Yeah. Taking over the project. Well, she thought that basically if she did that, the hemorrhaging would stop. And it didn't. That's the <laughs> and so she, she, she took other precautionary uh, measures, such as pulling hold of her rolling stock off and uh, uh, using the sole wood-burning locomotive uh, as, as the only motive stock. But that's still just points up the fact that it was not making a profit. It was still bleeding revenue. Mm -hmm. Now, the difference between that and the, the Real Norte line is the Real Norte line had producers along it that could actually pay for the freight and was not, was not sufficiently maintained to handle the freight that could have been theirs. That's why the Phoenix Durango had the customers that it did. And I think I don't think they tell us exactly that the Sebastian Sebastian is a continuation of the Rio Norte line. I think you have to go back to the first chapter where Eddie is looking at the map of Taggart Transcontinental. And he avoids looking at that extension of the Rio Norte line, the one that's bright red because it's new on the map. I, I think that's where we find out, not directly, but by imp implication, uh, that the San Sebastian is actually a continuation of the Rio Norte line. Hmm. Okay. 
Um, okay, if we can go forward. Did did we cover enough of the the backstory era? College and slightly after. Um, so then the second meeting at the Wayne Falkland. She's going there in anger. What does she think she's going to get out of him when she's going there? I don't think she knows. Just, or at least just not an consciously. explain yourself kind of thing? Well, I, okay, first of all, I think she wants to let him know that she realizes that, that she knows which farce he's talking about. And that's yeah, basically that. the entering wedge for the remaining conversation because I'm not sure Francisco, I think he was hoping that she would see that. And in a way he compliments her, you're the only person in New York who would have realized that I wasn't talking about the Gilbert Vale uh, divorce. Uh, yeah. interesting that he he also chose uh, he revealed information about the veil thing to her much like he also is pointing out the contradiction of even just uh, uh, what she knows of him versus uh, the failure quote unquote of the of the minds well yeah uh, yeah he's and, piling uh, on the contradictions. And you weren't there, but you obviously know. I have documentary evidence, but I wasn't where she said I was. And that's when she starts going, maybe there's more here than I'm seeing. Remarkably, he's hitting her with things that should pique her interest, make her investigate further. There's a writer's uh, privilege. I, I guess to kind of hold off on the mysteries, but you know, Francisco says to her, it's like, yeah, I have to fight you, not the looters. Except he waits till the very last to tell her that. Yeah. And during that whole time period, she's asking questions, he's answering. And, and she comes to the realization that he, uh, he understands what the problem is. And his point is, yeah, I understand what the problem is, but you don't. Yeah. Although I have to say that there's a princess, uh, there's a princess bride uh, moment in here. I know something that you do not know. <laughs> now, can you think of a motive that would prompt me to do it? No, it's inconceivable. Inconceivable. I do not oh. think this word means what you think it means. <laughs> that, that movie has so many um, uh, quotable lines. It's, it's crazy. Why are you smiling? Because I know something you do not know. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I am not left-handed. I'm left-handed. I, I know something you do not know. I'm not left-handed left I'm not left-handed either. <laughs> Carrie Elwes uh, is such a fascinating actor because when you put him in something silly, he has tremendous screen presence and you put him in something serious and he just vanishes into the wallpaper. 
Interesting. I don't. Um, I guess I. What what movies were where would we have seen him on the serious stuff? Uh, the example that comes to my mind is the film Twister. Oh. Mm. Yeah, you didn't even remember he was in that one, did you? Well, uh, no, my wife, she has watched that movie a gazillion times and could probably tell you exactly who, which character it was. Uh, I don't. I never noticed him. You're right. Hmm. Damn. You know, uh, okay, who who was he? <laughs> which, which person? He he was the uh, the bad guy. You know, the uh, the commercial uh, tornado chaser who uses technology instead of his gut. What? Ooh. Whoa. Okay, I'm gonna have to look that up. Yeah, he wasn't huh. even he he wasn't even like a minor character. No, know? that's hmm. He's like the antagonist, but like I said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. put him in a non-comedic role and it's you know who now <laughs> yeah well I, I think what happens is that he does what Johnny Depp occasionally does which is he just disappears into the character so you don't see the actor I mean I, I've never been a great big fan of Johnny Depp but and, and I so I reluctantly went to the first Pirates of the Caribbean because my niece told me I had to one of my nieces, I should say. And I have to admit, you didn't see Johnny Depp in the character. Now, in the sequels, oh, Lord, that was nasty stuff. But uh, in the first one, he just kind of wasn't... You saw the character, you didn't see the actor. And I'm wondering if that's what Ellie's does. Maybe. Um, God knows the character was not memorable. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he didn't have a in Twister. He didn't have a lot to work with. Um, I, yeah, I have this vague recollection that I have seen Ellie's in a similar role, not not as a villain, but as in a serious role where I'm actually having trouble recalling the movie. But I've got this nagging feeling that he's there. That uh, if I went and looked at his IMDb uh, listing, I could probably pull the movie out and tell you which one it was. But, uh, yeah, I see, I see what you're saying. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't think Francisco, although, actually, Francisco has a certain amount of that when he was working for the, uh, as a messenger boy for, for the Tiger Transcontinental. He certainly didn't seem to be a scion of a, of a very wealthy family. Yeah. Um, just a kid. Yep. <clears throat> and also, when he uh, when he ended up owning that uh, that uh, copper foundry. Ah uh, yes. The same thing seemed to apply. Well, he didn't trade on his father's name or on his family's name. Nope. His, no, his, his father it, was very proud of it. Yeah. It his whole out. goal there was to prove that he didn't need to. Yeah. Yeah. And he wasn't actually, a, even worse than that, he wasn't really allowed to either. They didn't want him to be working while he was supposed to be training. Yeah. Well, I don't wouldn't even say it was a matter of allowed. It's like, you know. Wasn't expected. Yeah. He, he's, he's like, he's like a force of nature. He just does. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I liked how the, uh, the father was still very proud of it. 
Oh, uh, the uh, what was it? The earlier example of like, what would your father say if he learned you'd done that? He's like, well, he'd ask if I was good at it. Yeah. <laughs> Is that all he'd say? Well, yeah. He, I, I vanished for what two years or something. <laughs> yeah, three months, I think. Yeah. yeah. It was some extended period, and that's all he asked when I got back. <laughs> Uh, benign neglect, toughing him up. Yeah. I mean, you know, that strikes me as a great example of, you know, a ro touch of romantic literature because, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Parents are not going to let their kid vanish. In, in reality, no way. You know, it's like the, the only son and heir of, you know, a, uh, you know, a company that large, you know, wealthy and connected, just spontaneously vanishing for three months. <laughs> yeah, actually, no. um, that Mrs. would be Taggart's... like kidnapping the friggin' Lindbergh baby. <laughs> yeah, M Mrs. Taggart's reaction to him seemed more appropriate. It's like, okay, you keep banishing. I don't know really. What's... I, I have to figure it out because I, you know, I'm responsible for you. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, maybe this is where I what I although would... even there, the whole you know riding the rails thing kind of clearly wore her down over time yeah. <laughs> after a while yeah. she's like yeah it's them send them home yeah. <laughs> we have these three rascals yes it's them yeah send them this way 100 miles the other way <laughs> which that's actually kind of believable that's fun it's like i'm yeah i mean i i can sort of buy that i mean i knew um uh, a friend of mine in high school his uh, his mom was a stewardess and he used to just he, because of that, you know, family members got like free standby tickets and he mm. just used to do things like, yeah, I'm just going to go to New York this weekend. Okay. You know, why not? <laughs> and I mean, on, on one level, I mean, I'm sure he told his mom where he was going, probably had to, but you know, at the same time, you know, this is, you know, has that same kind of weird feeling. It's like a, a kid, you know, who's relatively young by, sort of modern standards like 15 just deciding yeah i'm just you know i'm gonna go fly cross country this weekend because i can yeah i'm old enough to remember when it was a gigantic deal for any family member to get on a plane and go somewhere yeah they had to yeah yeah <laughs> it was a Pe huge deal yep people dressed up in their sunday best to go on an airplane yep yeah and and they would tell people i'm about to do this and tell them after i i lived i'm here we made it <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, I mean, we still kind of do that. You know, you get home and maybe you fire off a text right, and it's like, yeah. okay, I'm back. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, I, I, we take trips and we don't mention it to any relatives. It's like, yeah, whatever. Nobody cares. But uh, yeah, they don't dress in their Sunday best so much anymore. It's more like their pajamas. Yeah. yeah. Of course, to be fair, at that time, the airlines put a lot more effort into making it pleasant to fly. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, <laughs> yeah. They were competing a little True. bit with the uh, with the uh, the sea. <clears throat> excuse me, the seaplanes. Uh, the uh, mm -hmm. float planes. Yeah, the float planes, which were I mean, and the float planes were competing with the transatlantic uh, crew uh, cruise ships. Yeah. They made it pleasant. They made it glamorous. There was a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Nowadays, not so much. Well, no. they're, they're packing people in uh, as tightly as they can to uh, bring the price down and to make sure they're getting their uh, 
operating revenues and uh you know and who cares if they miss uh, bolting down the odd uh, the odd uh, exit door here and there <laughs> yes in any event yeah um let's see we've have we circled through enough of the material here let's see the significance of of the title of the chapter as usual uh in this case uh <laughs> we we don't want to go to the version that Kyle gestured to last time, the, the, uh, the climax of the Danconias, uh, uh, Francisco being himself the climax. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they ran pretty much says that explicitly. Yes. It's like the, 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 the but, that uh, he will outdo any, if not all the generations that came before him. Yeah. Francisco is peak Danconia. Yeah. Peak Danconia. Yes. Yeah, as, as we would say today. Uh, but we we do get the contradiction of like yeah uh, all the Danconias have you know left more than they they uh, started with, and uh, and now they're looking at what he's pulling off, and it's like hmm, you're not going for that mission. He he does seem like kind of an anticlimax. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> I saw what you did with that. That kind of that was too bad. Chris took off. We, we could have talked about that. <laughs> um. But yeah, yeah, but, he's the anticlimax of well, of yeah, Danconius. well, I mean, and and that I think is the double meaning in this particular chapter heading is that there is clearly a sense in which he is not, you know, he he was intended to be the climax of the Danconias in the traditional family sense of you know, creating you know more wealth, leaving you know the family and the company richer, you know, than they were, you know coming in and he's obviously and explicitly failing at that he's rejected the idea that he has any interest or motivation in making money or producing wealth you know he's you know talked of his family's fortune as something you know to be consumed and burned down yeah i could do the same mm -hmm. thing i get three generations of my family yeah three generations can live off this no problem yeah yep. um which tells so, us something else yeah so in that sense he was clearly intended to be you know, the climax of the Danconias and is not living up to that. But in another sense, as the um, as the novel, I think, will make clear, you know, as we go forward without spoiling, he is very much living up, you know, to his family heritage. Yes. And, yeah, he, uh, he counts as a hero. Yes. And, and, and you know, can well be looked at as the greatest of the Danconias. Indeed. Yeah. And the dichotomy between the sense in which, you know, that is true <clears throat> and the sense in which it isn't uh, is, you know, really tied up with the, some of the core themes of the novel. 